If you, uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to Matthew chapter 16. Uh, if you look for Matthew, you can go to the table of contents, with that, which I think is a great place to start. Uh, or you go about two-thirds of the way into your Bible, you'll find Matthew. Uh, if you look for chapter 16, it comes after 15, and it's before 17. So um, I'm good with numbers. Everybody that knows me knows that's my, that's my skill set. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you like one, we have some free ones available to you in the back. Uh, but, okay, but here's what we've been doing. We've been unpacking the, these past couple weeks, in fact, the past six weeks uh, in particular going on, seven now. Uh, we've been unpacking some incredibly important truths about uh, just life with Jesus. And, and this shouldn't come as a surprise. You shouldn't be like, oh, this is a church that talks about Jesus. Uh, it, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you because any biblical community, uh, any church that calls itself a church and is worth its weight in gold, uh, pursues knowing Jesus more and more and more and more. Uh, and so when we come to Sundays, we should know this is just a continuation of an exploration and an, an exaltation, I should say, of Jesus. And, and so Matthew 16, though, brings, however, I think one of the most concentrated uh, explanations of the gospel uh, that that we find really in in almost any other place in the Bible, uh, because we get to see the full scope of the human of mankind's position. Uh, that that in these verses we are confronted with this uh, deep need to think past uh, temporal matters of of our lives, and not to say that those temporal matters aren't important. Um, but, but we're confronted with this need to put our thoughts and to put our hearts and our minds on, uh, into eternal realities uh, that, that are much more pressing than we tend to consider. And as we begin thinking through this, these truths, Jesus tells us that, that we would need to be very careful about how we think about life with God. In fact, uh, one of the things that Jesus does, uh, in particular when he confronts the church, is he comes in and he says, listen, the way you guys have been thinking about life with God is just wrong. Uh, and so what I wanted to do is I want to come in and I want to explain the Father to you. And in that, he has been telling us that we need to be aware of the teaching of man, that, that there's this tendency inside man to, to either add to the Word of God, at times trumping the words of God, or there's this thought in the, in the teaching of man or the thoughts of man where we want to take a more liberal approach and just ignore portions of the Word of God, uh, helping us find whatever um, that kind of comfort we want apart from Him in. And so, so he says there's very... There's a very real danger in that. And then we've, we've got to verses 13 through 20 where, where Jesus brings us the most important question that any person will ever have to reconcile in their lives. Because he comes and he confronts us with this simple question, who do you say that I am? Who do, who do you say that I am? To which Peter helps us know the answer to this. Uh, he comes with this beautiful and brilliant declaration and he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And this is helpful to us because when Jesus comes, he comes first and foremost as the Christ, the son of the living God. He comes first and foremost as the Messiah. And so, uh, and, and we said it this way, that, that who we say Jesus is determines everything about how we follow him. 
Okay, who we say who we say Jesus is determines everything about how we follow him. And so so this process has kind of been this that that we we need to think about our eternal destination. We need to beware of the teaching of man. We need to see Jesus the Messiah. And now where we go this morning it completes this gospel call because Jesus will come in and he will explain to us how he makes life with him possible. And then he will call us to living in the light of the gospel. He will say, as you see me as your Lord and Savior, this is what I'm calling you, this is what I'm calling out of your life. And, and I should give you a fair warning like I did last week. Um, a lot of what Jesus says today will rub you the wrong way. Um, if, if your pursuit in your life is to have Jesus as a supporting character, uh, this will rub you the wrong way. This will rub up against you uh, because it goes contrary to, to popular opinion, even in the church today. And, and so because Jesus places the weight of the gospel on our hearts and he helps us understand that there is no casual approach to living uh, found in him. Just, there is no casual approach to it at all. And so you'll see why here a little bit later. So let's pray and then we'll get going. Now, Father, we come to you and we are just very thankful this morning that, that we get to make much of your son. That we get to celebrate, we get to be reminded of just how incredibly special and important he is to us. And we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would reveal this text to us in, in a new and a fresh way. Father, that you would help us not fight the words of this, but you would let us see our greater worth in your Son. And we pray this because you tell us that we could call out to you. We pray this because you, you beckon us to rely on you. And so we pray for those things to happen this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. That's a good amen. It sounded very solemn. Very, very like, very churchy. Good job. Um, so, so here's what we're coming off of, okay? Just to, to bring us up to speed, uh, Peter has made this incredible declaration, right? And he says, you are the Christ. And Jesus comes in and he says, yes, that is true. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, right? Uh, because God didn't, uh, you didn't come up with this. The thoughts of man doesn't come up with this understanding, but God revealed it to you. And then he says, because of this, because of this declaration that I am the Christ, I will build my church on it. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against it, right? And we, we all celebrated that, right? And there, you all like took on hell this week with water pistols. You're like, yeah, I gotcha. No? Okay, maybe not. Okay, so here's where we go, though. He's building based on this understanding of him, all right? And this is where we pick up in verse 21. From that time, okay, so from what time? That time, very good. All right, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And I love the way Matthew just kind of leads that in. Like, ah, we're going to Jerusalem. It's not going to be good. Oh, and I'm going to be killed. All right? And then on the third day be raised. And now the timing of this, okay, Revelation is, I think, very important. And this is why we walk through books of the Bible together and in full chapters of the Bible together. Because the timing of what Jesus is saying here in this revelation is important because 
he has just identified very clearly who he is to them. He has just identified that. He says, you are, I am the Christ. And so with that being very clear in the minds of the disciples, Jesus begins to enlighten them as to what lays ahead and a difficult road that they are looking down. He says, I, I want you to understand, we're going back to Jerusalem, which if you've been traveling with us in this gospel, we started in Jerusalem and then we ran out because the people of the church, the scribes, the Pharisees, um, they have now consorted to put an end to Jesus. And so Jesus has retreated, not because he's afraid of them, but because his life is going to intersect with the cross at a precise moment. And Jesus is starting to reveal to them that this is coming to play. And in fact, he says, we're about to journey back to Jerusalem, and this will change the course of human history. That, that we, he will suffer many things, and he will be killed and he will be rose. He will rise from the grave. And uh, and this information is is not new regarding the Messiah. In fact, the Old Testament refers to this on multiple occasions. Let me just give you four that you can kind of spend some time in. Uh, Psalm twenty-two, Psalm twenty-two, Isaiah fifty-three. Those are perhaps the most famous of the uh, descriptions of the suffering Messiah. Um, Zephaniah, or Zechariah. I'm sorry. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, and then chapter 13, uh, verse 7. But what we're going to see is though um, Jesus says this to the men, they believed Jesus to, to be the Messiah, but they didn't expect this path for him. They, this wasn't the Messiah that they expected. In fact, that was the issue that most of the crowd always faced with Jesus. They say, hey, you're the Messiah, but you don't look like the Messiah that we've been talking about. Uh, in fact, some of the most dearly loved people that dearly loved Jesus, were, they were confused because they thought, remember, he was coming in as a conquering king. At the time, the Jewish people are controlled by the Romans. And so they expected a king to come kick down the doors, run Rome out of town so that they can be their own people. And though Christ comes as a conquering king, in fact, he comes as a king that conquers much greater enemies than the Romans, they don't see it that way and they don't expect it to come this way. And so Jesus, uh, in this, this is his very first clear statement about his death. He says, listen guys, if you're confused about what's going to happen, I'm letting you know I'm going to die. I am going to die. And he's not telling them um, and us of a necessity driven by this human agenda. He says, he says, listen, as I go, I go because there's a divine necessity for my death. This is the plan that God has been orchestrating. This is what the Father has sent me to accomplish. And this act of humble obedience to Him is the desire of the Son to please the Father. And He says that this is the plan, that it will not be altered because it is divinely arranged from before time of this, of this story began. He says it's always been part of this plan. We must go back to Jerusalem I must be delivered into the hands of the Jewish authorities. Uh, I must be judged by the Sanhedrin. I must suffer. I must enter into my grand passion. Uh, that's, that's, that's death on the cross. And I must be killed. And I will be raised again on the third day. And I think that's an interesting way of putting it. Because Jesus doesn't say, I'm coming back to life on the third day. He says, I will be raised again on the third day. He says, he says the Father as part of his acceptance of my sacrifice, 
will bring me back to life. He will help me come back. And so this is where we go in verse 22. And I love this, okay? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, being Jesus, turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And just, man, I love Pete. I do. I do. Oh, man, I, I love him because he comes in this moment. And, and for some reason, in my mind, okay, if you've seen the movie Office Space, not that I endorse it, but I think of him as the manager, like, hey, Jesus, um, yeah, uh, about this dying thing, uh, I don't think it's going to, no, we shouldn't let that happen. That shouldn't, shouldn't work that way. And, and there, there's just, have you ever been so right in one moment and then be so completely wrong in the next? It, no, never, y'all. I constantly live in that world. Never, it never happened. I don't think so. And this is, this is what Peter does. He comes in and he, and, and there's, there's really no telling why he would, why he would see himself in the light where he could bring even the smallest rebuke to Jesus. Just one iota. You know, like, like there's, there's some good guesses, you know, that they, they think, some people think maybe he was riding high on that, you know, blessed are you, son, Simon Barjona. And he's like, yeah, all right, I just leveled up. So I feel like I can, I'm part of the executive staff now. I can say these things to the CEO, right? There, there's no telling. I mean, it could, could just be his pride. It could just be um, his, well, clearly his ignorance. It could be could be this, this part of him that deeply loves Jesus and says, no, that, that can't be the plan. That can't be the plan. I, I want to protect you from that. Because we will find, you will find as you travel through the Gospels, that Peter, at the risk of his own life, will try to murder people to save Jesus. So my guess is that he deeply loves Jesus, and he thinks because if, if everything is good in his world when Jesus is here with him, then let's stay here. And we're going to see that next week, too. Because there's going to be this moment where, where Peter says, hey, let's just live on this mountain for the rest of our lives. Let's just stay here. Okay? So, so I think Peter deeply loves Jesus, and he comes in and he says, no, we, no, you can't die. Because I love you that much. And if you're gone, that's going to be trouble for us. And so regardless, Peter opens his mouth, inserts his foot, uh, and we just get to, to get some popcorn and just enjoy the awkwardness of the moment, right? Like, ooh, this is going to get weird quick, right? And so, so Jesus says, because I'm not going to have any part of this, he reveals a satanic assault in Peter's words, right? What does he say? He doesn't say, get behind me, Peter. What does he say? Get behind me, Satan. And then what's, what's, the, ne- what's the end of that sentence? Explanation point, Right? You're a hindrance to me. You're a hindrance because you think your mind is not on the things of man. Or your mind is on the things of man, not on the things of God. And, and so Peter's words, Peter's desire to stand in the way is this human attempt to avoid pain. Either Jesus' pain or Peter's pain. Okay? Either Jesus' pain we want to avoid or Peter's saying, I can't do this. I can't live without you. Well, the pain on the cross carries 
just a much larger necessity. And I think you might be thinking, boy, that sounds like really harsh language, Jesus. Right? Why would you tell Peter, get behind me, Satan, moments after you have said, blessed are you. Right? Blessed are you. But, but if we can recall from Matthew chapter 4, as Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry, he goes and he is baptized by John the Baptist. There's this really beautiful scene where the heavens open up, this, the Spirit descends like a dove, God is speaking, this is my Son, who I'm well pleased. And then right out of that moment, Jesus leaves, and He goes to the desert for 40 days, 40 nights, without any food. And it says, while He was hungry, right? Some of us can't go 40 minutes without being like, oh, I'm hungry, right? So 40 days, He got, right? Were you already complaining? Will this guy ever wrap up so I can go to lunch? Um, so... So it says, while he was hungry, Satan came to tempt him. And the, the, the main temptation of Satan's attacks on him was to be a savior without the suffering. And Jesus has always come to be the suffering savior. But the temptation that Satan comes with him is that you can be the savior without suffering. And so, so Satan suggests that, that Jesus should go the triumphal route, that, that he dared Jesus to turn stones into bread. He tempted him to throw himself down from the temple so that angels would catch him. He offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world without uh, one ounce of pain if only he would bend knee and worship Satan. And then... Uh, Satan was so was willing to give Jesus anything as long as he didn't take the way of suffering that led to the cross. And Luke tells us that, that after Jesus refused all of Satan's offers, finally Satan departed. And he says this, he says that Satan departed from him until an opportune time. And one of those times, I believe firmly, is, is right here. Because Jesus has just told them, the road that we're going to go down is about to get rough. And it's going to be painful. And it's going to end with my death. It's going to momentarily end with my death. And Jesus says to Peter, that your mind is in the, is in the wrong place again. It's in the wrong place. You're not filling your mind with the things of God, and this is causing you to not be able to see the scope of all that's at play. I'm letting you in on what's at work to not only save you, but to save every man who would believe on me. That's what's happening. But Peter is not the focus of this story, okay? It, much like it is in, in the Bible. Um, when we see Peter, we say, oh, this is about Peter being an idiot again. No, Peter's not the focus of this story. Who is? Jesus. Jesus, that's a good, if, anytime you're in doubt, you're like, who's this about? It's always about Jesus, all right? So, so this, is, this is why Matthew doesn't tell us what Peter thought. He doesn't tell us how Peter reacted. He doesn't say that Peter ran off crying. He doesn't say that Peter was embarrassed forever. He doesn't say that the disciples, like, joined in and just busted his chops for weeks and weeks and weeks about this. No, Peter is not the focus of this story because Jesus is. And what Jesus does next, right? Matthew will draw our attention to what Jesus says next. And he will clarify life in the gospel. Life is people who understand the good news of who Jesus is. And so he says this in verse uh, 24, starting in 24. 
Then Jesus told his disciples, so when? Then. If anyone would come after me, okay, uh, hold on. Let me just stop. Okay, everybody, everybody look up here because this is, this is important. Don't read ahead. Stop reading ahead, okay? These words right here are really difficult. I'm just giving you that warning, okay? But if you make this, if you believe in this truth, that the Word of God is the healthiest, most productive, most joy-filled, most peaceful way of living, peace-filled way of living, then these words have to be true. All of it. All of it. You can't say, I don't like these words, so let's just take that page out, therefore it's not true in my life. All of it. So if you love these verses that say, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and you get the warm fuzzies, from that, and you're like, oh, I just love Jesus more because of those moments, okay? Because those are true, these are true. Okay? I'm just giving you a fair warning. Because I've had to walk through this this week, and it hasn't been easy. So Jesus says this, if anyone would come after me, and we say, oh yes, Jesus, right? Especially after we're singing what a beautiful name it is. We're like, oh, that's so beautiful. Yes, I just love Jesus so much. I want to get, get my cup of coffee and my Bible and my Blanket, you know, just cuddle up with Jesus, right? So, so if anyone come after me, okay, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and that he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Because Jesus says a lot of really important things. And so let's, let's try to make the most of our time. Jesus gives us the, the path for being known as his follower and how thereby finding life. He says, if you want to find life, let me, let me, I'm telling you how it is. And in and, and his words, we're, we're confronted with some false theology we may be carrying if we think Jesus has come uh, to elevate or to exalt our little stories. That, that if Jesus just wants to, his words actually stand in opposition of, of any thinking that Jesus comes gently. And any thinking that Jesus comes with a suggestion and that he wants to persuade you just to be his friend. Jesus has never walked a, a day on this earth saying, guys, I just want you all to be my friend. Never once. And so he comes in and he comes and he says, I've... I've I am your Messiah. I've come to be both your Savior and your Lord. And so let's, let's start unpacking the power found in verses 24 and 25. Because rarely do we find a more direct, more helpful guide for how we find life in Christ. Rarely. In fact, um, I, I, always, I, I tend to shy away from like three simple steps to your best life now. Um, because I don't find the Bible is very easily found in that, in that scope. But here we find Jesus tell us, Three steps for finding life. And it's not three simple steps, but three steps for finding life in Him. And so, so He will say this. If number one, and you can follow along in your talk notes if you'd like. It says, it says that you would deny yourself. 
you would deny yourself. And you're like, God, couldn't you warm us up to something a little bit easier? Like, that's a big one. As well as it should be. I believe this is perhaps the largest hurdle for living in the gospel, right? Because there's, there's a very real pull uh, inside our hearts to want Christ, but to also want to feel perhaps control. That, that we will follow Jesus wherever as long as we have the veto power or as long as we tell him where we're going. That, that we want to satisfy certain desires. We want to feel certain securities. We long to provide memories and share experiences with people. And when we come across these words of Jesus as here to deny ourselves, we begin building this, this brick wall in fear that, that our denying of ourselves would cause danger or discomfort that we don't want to experience. And so I think when we think about what it means to deny oneself, we're, we're brought to this, we're brought to a radical distinction between a, a God-oriented life and a, a life that is self-seeking or a life that is unrepentant or a life that is, that is trapped in sin because self-seeking is the opposite of self-denial. And that, that's the problem with self-seeking is that it has been the essence of sin from the beginning. Right? If, if the first sin ever was Satan's sin, what, what is it? I want the glory for myself. I want to please whatever desires that I have for myself. I want my way. I want to displace God. And so God tells them that you will be brought low. Says you will be brought low in Isaiah 14, 12. And, and by contrast, Jesus comes in and he says, I'm, I'm going down the way of self-denial. I, I am pouring my life out as this offering in order that those that I love might be lifted from sin to glory. As a result, as we got to sing earlier, as, as Swan reminded us of from Philippians, that, that God exalts Christ into a place where there's no competition. That there is no rival, that there is no equal to him, and so 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 we put aside, we deny ourselves, and in that we put aside our self righteousness, our self indulgence, everything that would belong to making you the focus of the story. And you're like that? No, that that's not possible. That's not possible, and it is. It is, or else Jesus wouldn't have said it. And I think the argument against this way of living, it stands this question, do, do I trust Jesus can bring more fulfillment than I can provide on my own? That, that's, that's the question that's buttoned up against denying yourself. Do I trust that Jesus can bring more fulfillment than I can provide on my own? And we fall for this trap that, that den not denying yourself will help you keep your identity. And now here's the problem with your identity. Your, this is the problem with your sinful nature is that it trapped you and it brings you nothing but death. And you say, well, there are joys in that and there are some sort of desires that are exciting. And you're like, yes, but it's very fleeting. And rarely does it pay off in the way that you expect it to. We forget that that identity that we're so bent on keeping our own 
that apart from Christ, it's what broke our relationship with God in the first place, and it trapped us in a sinful death. So he says, you deny yourself, and we all say, okay. Then he says this, take up your cross. Take up your cross. Now, now, context is key, and I think understanding context in this setting is, is helpful. Uh, because we have a different relationship with the cross than the first century would have had. Uh, for us today, when we talk about the cross, it's a symbol of a great sacrifice. And though it's horrific, it's also beautiful in a way. Uh, because the cross of Christ, it rescues us um, from our sin. And so, so though we're saddened by the events of Jesus on the cross, we're, we're grateful and we are worship-filled when we survey the wondrous cross. There's a beautiful hymn that says, When I survey the wonder. I won't sing it to you because you can't handle it. Um, but, but for the disciples, right? For the disciples, the language of taking up your cross would have uh, immediately brought to mind a different picture. Like the thought of them wearing crosses on their necklaces would have been really strange and bizarre to them. Uh, because for them... The cross was a gruesome, and it was a painful punishment that was created by the Romans, right? That they judged so severe that they refused to do it on their own people. They said, if we have to get rid of you, um, and you're a Roman, we're not taking that route because it is so extreme. It is so torturous. It is so gruesome. And so so anyone carrying a cross, um, which, you know, as we approach Easter, we'll... We'll start focusing our minds on that. Any person that is carrying their cross was literally a dead man walking. Your, your life as you once knew it was over. And, and this is the point that Jesus um, wants them to have as a constant reminder of. That, that too often, I think, when we say we have to bear our crosses or we have to carry our crosses, um, we, we confuse the challenge of it, that Cross-bearing is a reminder that your life is found in Christ and the things of Christ become your things. Those things that are self-seeking, those things that help you lead toward your own self-glorification, those things, he says, you are dead to. You're no longer. Paul gives us some of the greatest explanations, like you're no longer who you say you were, that, and who, here's who you are in Christ. The book of Ephesians is filled with it. But he says... Because as you carry your cross, um, that, that your old manner of living is dead. And so what does it look like to carry your cross, right? That's a, that's a fair question. Uh, and I think it's a good one. Matthew 25, uh, Jesus, was, is, he'll give us a couple of things of what carrying your cross would be. Because you're no longer carrying the things about yourself. You're carrying the things about him. And so some of the things he tells us to do, he says, he says that it involves feeding the hungry, giving drink to the thirsty, receiving the stranger, clothing the naked, caring for the sick. And all of these actions are not easy. Because they take a part of you that says, I don't want to do those things. And says, I must do those things because this is the footsteps of Jesus. That, that they involve denying oneself, um, oneself's time, money, convenience. At times, these actions may seem pointless, right? Have you ever told God what you're doing is pointless? And he just says, Peter, 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 Peter. They, they can seem pointless because 
the gifts are either abused or the one giving them is slighted by the one he helps. But, but we are to continue uh, living this way because doing so means we're saying yes to Jesus. We're taking up our crosses, remembering that our life is not our own. I believe that's what he says. When you take up your cross, you remember that you are dead to your own life. And then he says, gives us step three. You follow me. If anyone would come after me, he would deny himself, he would take up his cross, and that he would follow me. And this, this echoes the invitation of Jesus at the beginning of the Gospels, right? When he's assembling this ragtag group of guys, what's his invitation? Follow me. Now, he doesn't tell them about Jerusalem, right? He doesn't, he doesn't lay it all out for them. Hey, follow me. We're going to have some really good times, and then it's going to get really hard. And then some really beautiful things will happen after, the, after that. He doesn't say that. He just says, follow me. Pursue me. Walk in my footsteps according to my word. Adhere to my ways. Trust in my power. Live for my praise. And, and you hear this echoed in the words of Paul uh, in, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, when he comes in. And it's a very famous uh, declaration of Paul's when he says, says it's, it's, I've been crucified with Christ. I, I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this is the invitation of the gospel, that Christ would live in you and through you and do things around you. And following Jesus means that you would walk in the shadow of both the cross and the resurrection. That you would walk in the shadow of his death and his life. It means that, that where he steps, our steps follow. That we don't determine where those steps go. He, he does that. He tells us that if we are finding our life in him, then our steps are his steps. So your life becomes about his story, about his power, about his fame being known in your life. And then, then he reasons with us. And I, I love this. He doesn't have to. He could have just stopped right there and been completely right. But he says, you, you guys need to understand this. And so he reasons and he exposes the world for what it really is. It's a, it's a cheat. It's a false hope that leaves us empty and broken and without hope at the end of our lives. And so he says in verse 26, for what will it profit uh, a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And this is what he's saying. He says, your soul is more valuable than the entire world. That's what I'm coming after. I'm not coming to save the trees. I'm coming to save your soul. That the world is not without value. God, God created the world, but, but this world is all momentary. It's just momentary. And the argument is that, that it's foolish to exchange your eternal soul for what one day will be gone and forgotten. Which is why Jesus says his effect in your life is, is much better and it lasts much larger. And then he says this in 27. He says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Then he says, Truly I say to you, there is some standing here who will not taste death until the, uh, they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And that's just a can of worms. Okay, We don't have time to get to that. Um, but you can read a lot of people, and they will all tell you this is just a can of worms. Um, as to what Jesus exactly means by 
the coming in his kingdom. But, but here's, here's where I want us to focus. That, that those who follow Jesus will be rewarded by Jesus. Now, we don't, we don't find our worth in our works. We find our worth in Jesus. But he says, listen, I see what you do in the glory of my name. And those things will be uh, rewarded when he returns in glory, which, which is going to happen. That there isn't anything wrong, I think, with this incentive uh, when we stay in context. Is Jesus has been speaking of denying and carrying our crosses, and, and here he promises a reward for that kind of work. He says, you know, he says, he says, he says here we have a cross, there we have a crown. He says, here we have a cross, there we, we have a crown, and, and Jesus shortchanges no one. And so, so the way of coming after Christ, let's bring all this together, the way of coming after Christ is this call to deny yourself of the desire to become the lead actor in your own story. It's to live in a way that's a reminder that you are no longer who you used to be. You are dead to sin, you are alive to Christ, and that those steps of your life are in the wake of Jesus leading you into a life worth living. Okay? That is true. We can start wrapping this up. Fine. That, is, that is true. And perhaps the question that we need to ask God or the, the request we need to bring before God is help my unbelief. <laughs> help me know that that is true. Deep within me. That it moves me. That it compels me to joyfully give away those things. I, I was thinking through what Jesus calls from us. I told you, right? I mean, can we agree that those things are difficult when the control of that rope is in our hand? When we want to hold that to ourselves, when we want to bring that to ourselves, those things are difficult. And I was thinking through this on, on Wednesday night during the Remove the Noise. Uh, nobody started a fire this week, so that was... That was a benefit. You'll be, thank you for knowing that. Um, I know some of you were deep in prayer. Uh, but but I, we were trying to figure out, okay, like, I was trying to figure out, okay, so what does that look like? What What's keeping me from those things? And I think it firmly has to do with this, that that it takes faith to walk in that light. It takes a belief that Jesus is who he says he is. A firm belief that he will do all that he says he will do. And so if faith was the issue, this was my question to God. How much faith is required to do those? And let's just agree, those are three big things. How much faith is required to deny myself? How much faith is required to carry my cross? How much faith is required to simply follow Him when He's taking me to Jerusalem and not the feeding of the 5,000? Right? Because that's for these disciples. That's the easy part, right? They've been part of this entourage where crowds are coming and it's a circus-like atmosphere and Jesus is doing all these incredible things. He's healing people. There are moments where He brings people back to life by just saying, Come alive. 
He gets to see mir- they get to see miracles. They get to see Jesus walking on water. They get to see Jesus teaching them. They get to see all these beautiful things. And we're like, yes, that's what I want. But what do we do? What amount of faith does it take to go to Jerusalem where he says, they're going to kill me and you will scatter? What amount of faith is involved in that step? I said to God. And then I was reminded of this thing that Jesus says about faith. And, and I don't, I think there are levels of it, but, but I was reminded that he, he's talking to some people one time and he says, says, you need the faith of a mustard seed, which is really small. And he says, if you have that kind of faith, you can move mountains. Because he says, with that kind of faith, nothing is impossible with God. And so my question was, okay, what kind of faith do I need to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Him? And I think very firmly He comes in and He says, just a little bit of faith. Because you can't see the scope of all of it without this, this, this little, small size of faith. And I contend that if, if we stand here, if we sit here, and we say, I, I, don't, I don't know how that's possible. What you say Jesus says seems impossible. That, that maybe we need to ask, what lack of faith is required to keep us trapped and wishing for change, but never tasting what is available to us? Because if we only need a little bit of faith to do what seems impossible... What does it say when we still struggle with it? And I think Jesus would bring us to this very honest evaluation of saying, no faith means you don't know me. He'd say, I don't have any faith in that. I think he would very honestly say, you don't know me. You haven't seen me. You haven't seen me clearly enough. And you say, well, I've gone to church my whole life. I've been at youth camps. I've been baptized eight times now. And he says, it takes faith to pursue me. And where we go won't always be easy. And it involves you saying, it's not about me, it's about you. And then you living in that way. So I think, I think Matthew 16, it causes us to ask, some questions that, that have you den- died to yourself? Have you taken up your cross? Are you following Jesus? Have you found your life in Him? And are you eagerly proclaiming the good news of the kingdom as you eagerly await His return? That's, that's the Bible invading your life. And I think this is the cost of the gospel. I think it is. I think this is what the gospel calls from us. Because too long, for too long, we've come in very casually approaching the gospel saying, hey, Jesus can make your life better. And we say, oh, I want my life to be better, but I still want my life to be my life. And this is the road of the gospel that says you can't have it both ways. Your life is his life. If you want to keep your life, 
You're welcome to do so. But that ends with a dead end. And that ends with you trapped. Well, what Christ comes to offer is something larger, much more fulfilling, much more um, eternal. So, our desire, thank you for letting me just kind of mess with that this morning. Our desire this week is to love God by... Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make just a couple things available to you guys. If you need prayer this morning, we want to pray with you. Uh, Mark and Keith and Kim and Kelly, they'll be up here. We want to pray with you. Maybe you've never, maybe you have no faith and you know that you have no faith. And I just want to let you know, there's not, that you're not bad because of that. You're just lost and you're dead because of that. And what Christ comes to bring you in that moment is fulfillment and release and joy. And maybe today is the first day that you go from death to life. We want to help you with that. Those guys that are up here, they would, they would love to walk with you through that. Let's pray. Father, I thank, you, I thank you that you allow us to be in a place where we can make much of your son and that that would be a priority for us. We thank you that you've given us your word this morning so that we're not guessing what it looks like to, to be in relationship with you. But Father, we do pray for the courage and the strength through your Spirit, to actually do the things that you've called us to do and be the people you are transforming us into. Father, I pray this week, I pray this day, we would make much of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.